0: Well, that's right, everybody. Welcome to week number four of this six-part series that we're calling It's Complicated. Uh, More on that in just a moment, but as always, uh, I wanna welcome our East Campus right now to this moment. We are one church in two locations, and so excited for all that God is doing over at our East Campus, and also a massive shout-out to everybody who's joining with us right now online, whether it's our online campus, Facebook, YouTube channel, However, whenever, whatever brought you to the moment, we're glad you're with us. If you haven't already, um, get those sermon notes out. Um, A really important day for us to take some notes as we dive back in to another complicated conversation. And honestly, I have a nightmare um, that I wake up and um, I went to church, got on the stage and there's nobody there. Um, but you all keep on showing up, and I'm so proud of you. I'm thankful that you're here as we do navigate um, some complicated conversations. Um, we talked about biblical sexuality, gender identity. Last week, we talked about marriage. Uh, before we dive into this week, let me just talk to you about next week. Next week, we're gonna talk about Generation Z. Um, and I'm kind of titled the message is we're gonna fight for the next generation. So if you're a, um, a grandparent, mom and dad, you don't want to miss next week's conversation. And I'll kind of set it up this way. I'm not just gonna talk about the generation. Um, I'm gonna tell you what one life's response is going to be in our family ministry, students, how we're gonna partner with families. Um, you don't wanna miss next week's um, conversation um, in this series. Okay, um, today we're gonna talk about two complicated issues or topics, and we're gonna try to unpack um, what the Bible says about singleness, and also we're gonna discuss divorce. And so this is why we have the hard hat back, um, because there's lots of different uh, difference, um, differences of opinions on these two issues. Um, and we're gonna dive into 1 Corinthians chapter seven. So get your Bibles out or use those sermon notes. Now, a couple weeks ago, I did talk to you about 1 Corinthians chapter six, where Paul very pastorally and lovingly counsels and urges the Corinthian church um, not to continue in the way in which they were. That Jesus didn't die on the cross and three days later walk out of a grave for you to continue in your lifestyle, God has done all of those things so you can have freedom, so you can have victory. God's giving you a new creation. And now he goes to 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Now, now one of the things about Corinth that, that you really have to understand, Corinth is like the sex capital of the world. Honestly, Corinth makes Vegas look like Sesame Street. Prostitutes, Everywhere there was even sex temples that people would go and worship the sex gods. It is Vegas on steroids. That is Corinth. And people are coming to faith in Jesus. And they have no background in church and Jesus and Christianity and even um, Judaism. They have nothing. There's just these pagan people coming to faith in Jesus. And now they're asking Paul tons of questions like, what do we do about all this? Like we were married. And now like Jesus has changed our lives. Like, what do we do about our past? I'm single and I can't find anybody that loves Jesus. Like, what do I do with that? What about divorce? And Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, he kicks off and he says, okay, now regarding the questions that you asked in your letter. So we don't know exactly how this played out, but Paul was sent a letter from the Corinthian church asking all of these types of questions. One of the important things about accurate Bible interpretation Is that you have to go back to the original author and then what is the original author saying or writing to so now we know okay it's paul he's writing to the corinthian church who are being saved from this very pagan sexual culture um and for us 2023 we understand the author we understand who he's writing to what he's conveying the the big principles and then we, today, take those overarching principles and we apply them to our life in 2023. So they're asking Paul questions. Here are a couple of the questions that I think that people in Corinth were asking Paul. I think they were asking Paul, hey, hey, I'm married. I came to church in Corinth and my husband didn't. And I met Jesus and now I got water baptized and my husband, he's he not interested in all that. My husband is upset and he's saying, hey, wait a second, this is a bait and switch. I didn't marry a Christian. I married the person who would go with me to the sex temple. Hey, Paul, what do I do with all of that? I think they're asking these questions. Paul, I'm single, I'm ready to mingle and I really wanna be married, but Paul, it's a jungle out there in Corinth. The dating scene is crazy. I just met this girl in a dating app and I found out that she was a prostitute at the sex temple. And the reason why I know that is because I remember seeing her at the sex temple. This is what the people in the church were asking. I think they were asking another question. Paul, I'm starting to lose hope that I'm ever gonna find somebody. So I'm now thinking about lowering my standards. Paul, help. What am I supposed to do? And they also were asking this question, Paul, Is there ever a scenario where divorce is permissible? So we're gonna try to talk about singleness, marriage, and then we're gonna talk about divorce. What could go wrong? Okay, are you with me, everybody? Okay, we're gonna kick off 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Paul now starts answering their questions in verse seven. And he writes this, but I wish every one of you in Corinth I wish you were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, so these are all the single people in this very pagan culture in the church of Corinth, I wish all of you single people to know this, that it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry because it's better to marry than to burn with lust. Now, I've done hundreds of weddings, and I've never at the marriage ceremony preached a marriage a service or a marriage message from First Corinthians chapter seven. I mean, can you just imagine? Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today in the sight of God and the presence of these witnesses to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony. The reason why we're here is because Bill has been overcome with passion and lust. And Sue, she's all hot and bothered. So Bill picked Sue and Sue picked Bill because they need to extinguish all of their passions in holy matrimony. How romantic. Could you, could you imagine? And Paul says, it's better for you stay single unless you can't control yourself. He continues in verse 10, but for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. So now Paul is going to tell you, I come in the authority of the Lord in this moment. A wife, and this is really important, a wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, so it's interesting here, Paul gives a concession almost, but she shouldn't. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled back to her husband. And the husband must not leave his wife. He continues, now regarding your questions about the young men and women who are not yet married. I do not have a command from the Lord for them. So now Paul's just gonna give you some wisdom. He's not saying this is from the Lord. This is just some good pastoral counsel um, that can be trusted. The wisdom I'm gonna give you, the counsel, it can be trusted. Because of the present crisis, so we've already talked about the issue in Corinth, coming out of pagan cultures, certain um, spouses were getting saved, others were staying in that lifestyle. Paul says, I think it's best, if that's you, you find yourself in that situation, I think it's best to remain as you are. And then he continues, but if you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. So, so here's, here's what Paul's saying, the overarching principle. That how you were at salvation, you should remain that way. If you were married, you should remain married. If you were single, you should stay single unless lust and passion gets, gets the best of you. You should stay as, as you are. He continues, if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles and I am trying to spare you those problems. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna gonna try to break down the main principles that Paul is teaching first around around singleness. Now, I'll be honest with you. I am not an expert when it comes to um, being single. I've been married now to Amanda for 15 years, um, but I do remember what it was like before we got married. And as a pastor now for almost 15 years, as a college young adult pastor when I first started, Numerous conversations, hundreds of coffees and dinners, processing and walking through people's singleness. I do wanna say this, just as I don't think the church has been very caring and empathetic with people who have gone through a divorce oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, I also think that it's true that the church needs to do a better job of being more empathetic, caring and encouraging to single people that are in our our churches. In fact, this week I read this book, it's called Celibate Sex by Abby Smith, the Christian perspective of being single. She writes, singles today are a widow of sorts, needing to be listened to in a framework for who we are and how we fit into the Christian family. Here's why this is important. Because culture and our society tells us that if you're single, something's wrong with you. That if you have never been married, or you're not currently in a dating relationship, or you're not currently have three or four divorces, and you're just still trying to figure it out, that something's wrong with you, that you're, you're the problem. What Abby is saying, no, no. Like culture tells us one thing. This is why it's complicated. The Bible tells us something different but singles do have a unique need where we need to care and encourage and be more empathetic. So singles today are, are a widow of sorts needing to be listened to in a framework for who we are and how we fit into the Christian family. So for instance, here are the questions that single people are asking. What does it mean to abstain from sex while having urges? What does it mean to be content in one's singleness while longing for marriage? Can I be sexual without a spouse? Am I becoming less desirable as I age? How do I trust God in this? Should I use technology, like dating apps, to date? I have serious reservations about this person I just went on a date with, but I'm lonely. Should I stay in it? Are there enough eligible single people at this church or the other church that you go to? hey, that's a a pastor joke, that one's for me, but I know you single people do it. Here are the questions that single people are, are asking. And I think it's time for the church, One Life Church, that we become more empathetic and caring and encouraging to people that are in our church that are single, either by choice or by circumstance. There are single people today in this room at East Campus online, you have chosen to be single. And maybe you long for marriage. There are people in our rooms today that have gone through a a divorce and maybe it's a recent divorce and it's very painful and you didn't want that divorce and you're now just still trying to pick up the pieces from that divorce, but you find yourself here today single. Others of you, you had dreams that you and your husband, you and your wife, you were gonna live to 80, die together and then a sickness happens, and today you find yourself alone as a widow or a widower. What I'm saying, One Life Church, is there's single people all around us, and there's not a one-size-fits-all approach that we do in our life groups, and how we interact need to be more encouraging, caring, and empathetic to single people in, in our church. And you need to know this. I believe the principles of First Corinthians chapter seven I believe that the Bible affirms singleness. Affirms singleness. Now, I am not an expert on being single, but the Apostle Paul, who at the time of this writing was single and remained single the rest of his life. And let me, let me just say one, one more thing. If you're, you're single in, in the rooms today, you need to know that you are not half a person you are a whole person. You're a whole person. And Paul affirms this, the Bible affirms it, and even Paul goes too far and says, I wish everyone that I knew were single like I am. Paul doesn't say, I just wish you were single until something better comes along, until you find Mr. or Mrs. Right. No, Paul says, forget about all that. Like, I wish everyone could experience what I'm experiencing as, as a, single, as a single adult. He affirms it. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus, the central figure of our faith, the most complete person who ever walked the face of the earth, was single. He never had sex, he never got married, he never had kids, and he is the most complete person that ever lived. And I know the argument, you're saying, well, Jared, he, he was 100% God. Yes, but he was also 100% man. And the Bible says that he was tempted in every way like we are, yet he didn't sin. So he knows what it's like to long for a companion. He knows what it's like to have those certain temptations. If you're single, that should affirm your singleness. You are whole, you are complete, you are not half a person. The Bible affirms you today. And Here's how it affirms you. First, the Bible views singleness as a gift, it's a gift. Now, now Paul talks about this, but I, I, I do believe that singleness can be a spiritual gift for some people. It can be a spiritual gift. Now, the moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts. Singleness is a spiritual gift. Now, anecdotally, not many people would say, that's my gift. So don't think of it as a lifelong gift, but maybe this is a certain gift that God has for you right now, that this is a, a season in, in your life. It's, it's a gift. Here's why it's a gift. Paul actually talks about this in verse 32. I want you to be free, he's talking to the single people, from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided, divided. Now, last week, when I talked about marriage as a covenant, the moment you say, I do, for better, for worse, richer or poor, that's a covenant relationship that should never be broken. Inside the covenant, there are certain rights that we give up, that we lay down. We give up the right to privacy. We give up the right to ownership. It's no longer my stuff, it's our stuff. I signed the deed over to my spouse and I give up the right to priority. That I don't live my life for myself, I live my life for the covenant, for the marriage relationship. When when you're married, and all the married people can attest to this, your life becomes more complicated. And then when you add kids into the mix, your life infinitely more becomes more complicated. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. When you're married, your interests are divided. So single people, you may not view it right now, it may just be a season of your life, but your singleness is a gift. Paul just piggybacks on this and says the same thing. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and in holy body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. And he says, I am saying all of this for your benefit, single people, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Singleness is a gift. Here's the second way the Bible affirms singleness is the Bible views singleness as, as an opportunity. Now, I'll speak to the younger singles in the room for just a moment. Because you would say, this singleness, this is just a season, I, got, I, I have longings to get married. Oftentimes what I've noticed with certain people or certain singles, is that when they have the desire to get married, nothing wrong with the desire, but they become so narrowly focused on finding a spouse or they meet somebody and then they just shut off the world around them and they have no blind. It's just everything is about finding a spouse, finding a spouse, finding a spouse. And this is true about both guys and girls. And the truth is, is when we have our focus in like this, we miss out on all of the opportunities that God is doing around us. That in this season of singleness, God has people that he wants you to serve and he has his kingdom that he wants you to help impact. Your singleness is an opportunity for you to do incredible, incredible things. Don't be so focused that you miss out on all that God is doing. I read an article this week I was shocked. Now I'm gonna pick on the gentleman for just a minute. So I think that this statistic is mostly true about guys. I read an article this week that said that the average dude, by the time they turn 21, has spent, listen to this, 10,000 hours playing video games. 10,000 hours playing video games. If you are familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's um, book on the 10,000 hour principle, he basically says, if you spend 10,000 hours doing anything, you become a certified expert in that field. We have a bunch of young guys and even guys in their twenties and their thirties who are single, who are certified experts in fantasy land And I'm telling you, it's time to get out of fantasy land and use your gifts and your abilities and the talents here in the real world. You are missing out on all of the opportunity that is around you. And this is what people say to me. Oh, pastor, I'll get serious about all that once I get married. Then they'll say, well, I'll get serious about that once I have kids. And I'm telling you, you are missing out on all the opportunities that God has for you right now. You ever heard of hashtag FOMO, fear of missing out? We're gonna coin a new one here at One Life. Um, It probably won't stick, but we're gonna call it FOSO, fear of squandering opportunities. If you're single in the room, whether by choice or by circumstance, the Bible affirms you today, it's a gift. And there are opportunities that you can have right now that nobody else can have. Don't squander the opportunities that God has for you. And if you would say, Jerry, okay, it's, it's a season of my life, but the longing of my heart is to get married. You're, you're in good luck. In two weeks, we're going to have a conversation around how to date in today's hookup culture. Um, you don't wanna miss that message in, in two weeks. So that's Singleness. Now we're gonna shift gears and we're gonna talk about divorce. Now, before we dive into this very complicated issue, I wanna remind you of our three ground rules that I laid out several weeks ago. Here's ground rule number one. I don't have time to address every situation or every objection. So as we go through this conversation, you might say, yeah, but what about? And I would agree with you, I just don't have time to address it. Or you would say, well, that hasn't been my experience and I would agree with you. Um, Again, I just don't have time to address it. However, in several weeks from now, we're gonna have a series called Masterclass, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's Famous Sermon. Jesus addresses divorce, and in a few weeks, I'm going to address divorce in even more detail, so just hang on. The second ground rule um, is that it's okay if you disagree. With crowds of this size online in both locations, I know when we talk about something like this, there's gonna be lots of differences of opinion and I'm okay with that. But just because we may disagree doesn't mean that we can't love each other and show respect to one another. There's a lot of smart people who love Jesus dearly that have different views on what we're about to talk about. And the third thing I wanna just say from the get is we're gonna speak the truth in love. Cause I know there are many people who have gone through the pain of divorce. And I hope you understand my heart with this is that we love you. God loves you. Um, and we're going to speak the truth, but we're going to do it in a Christ honoring and Christ loving way. So let's talk about divorce. And I want to talk about it in a very practical sense. Cause here's what I've discovered that when people are drowning, they don't need the Greek word for life raft. You know what they need? They need you to throw them a life raft. And I know that there are people that have walked into our rooms today and you would just admit, you would say, our marriage is in trouble. Like it's drowning and and we are wondering, is divorce the next step for us? Like what, what do we do? As we talk about divorce, I think it's really important that we understand not just the covenant side, which I talked about last week, but if you really understand Genesis and how God created man and woman in the marriage covenant, there is a pathway, there is, there is a clear way in which relationships work. Here's the first thing, going to be so simplistic. But when it comes to your marriage, and maybe you're like, I don't know if this is gonna work out or not, you gotta go back and remember that before anything else, you're a Christian, you're a Christian. It amazes me that when couples call us and ask for help, we'll come in, we'll sit down with them, and they can't even be Christian to one another. Go back to the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Like Work on being a good Christian first. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in and and through you. Allow that to be the focus. And when you work on being a good Christian, the second step in this pathway to marriage is, is friendship. It's friendship. Think about the creation of man and woman. So God created Adam from the dust. The Bible says that Adam and God had a very unique and special bond, communion in the garden. There was Adam being a Christian. And then God saw, Adam says, not good for man to be alone, so he created for him a helper, a teammate, one to come alongside, an encourager. When Adam saw Eve, he said, hey, you're like me, but you're so unlike me. And I wanna come alongside you, and I wanna help you, and I wanna encourage you. What was happening? It was a friendship, a friendship. And after friendship, what's the third thing that God told Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply like go have sex, go work on being a, a spouse. Our current culture tells us, work on this, get this all like spicy and you gotta work on the spouse stuff and that'll solve everything else. You know, according to the Bible, this is why it's so complicated for people to understand this, work on being a good Christian first. And then in the context of covenant relationship, like you make sure your spouse is your very best friend. And I think sometimes we have this backward. And I cringe every time I hear somebody say this. Oh, I have a work wife. She's my work wife. We talk about everything. We go to dinner, everything that's going on in my life, she knows. In fact, all the issues with my spouse, I talk to her because it's really good to get a female's perspective on things. She's my work wife. Then I'll hear um, the wife say, oh, well, there's this guy at the gym. I'm not really even attracted to him. Not really really my type. But yeah, I, I like to talk to him about what's going on in my life. It's good to get a man's perspective. And we spend all of this energy and all this creativity becoming friends with people that aren't our spouse. I'm telling you, if you'll be a Christian first, if you will protect the intimacy of your friendship in marriage, all of this spouse stuff figures itself out. Christian Friend, spouse, and then you're going to ask the question. You're going to say, "Well, Jared, we we tried to work on all this, but we, we it's not going to work for we. We tried to be Christian. We tried to be a friend, and we this does the Bible ever talk about about this? The Bible says that God hates. Divorce. He doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce because of what divorce does, the pain that it causes. And anybody who's gone through a divorce knows exactly what I'm talking about. Any child who's gone through divorce, seeing their parents split up, knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because the scripture says, skip that, skip the next one. The scripture says, go to the next Divorce should not be a first response, but a last resort. Should not be a first response, but a last resort. Here's what the scripture says. This is the words of Jesus. Since they are no longer two, man and wife, let no one split apart what God has joined together because marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And when you begin to break the covenant, you are ripping apart what God has brought together. Divorce is not God's plan. It's not God's best. And then the questions will come, well, what about about adultery? Like, certainly, like, that's that's the thing. Well, Jesus actually talks about this. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. That's really important, don't miss that. Because of sin, because of unrepentant sin that was happening, Moses is like, fine, you're causing so much damage and so much pain anyway. Like, I guess I'll concede. But it was not what God had originally intended, not his will. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Now, let me just say this for a moment. It's oftentimes in adultery, I think what is neat, it's almost like if you sprain an ankle, You don't run into the emergency room and say, doc, you gotta amputate my leg, it hurts so bad. No, the doctor would say, time out. Before we go to extreme measures, because divorce should be our last response, let's take you off of your ankle, which I do often counsel. There might be a season of separation that is needed. Then let's rehab the ankle. Let's get you walking again. Let's get you running. And eventually you'll be able to use your leg exactly the way that you did before, but it's gonna take a lot of hard work and a lot of rehab and a lot of, and a lot of pain. Second, people would say, well, what about abandonment? What do we do about that? And actually this is where Paul talks about this in First Corinthians chapter seven. Paul says, if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on abandoning you, on leaving, Paul says, let him go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. And the other one people will ask is, Jared, what about, what about abuse? And I actually believe that this is a form of abandonment in its most vile, mean, and wicked, and wicked way. And I know when I talk about these certain issues and that talk about divorce, there's bringing up lots of feelings for lots of people. And you might hear all of this and you might think, well, Jared, like my past, like I've gone through the pain of a divorce and, it's, and there's not a day that goes by where I don't at least think about it. And it just feels like I'm gonna walk around my entire life with this, with this scarlet letter across my chest. And listen, all of us, the only scarlet letter that should be written across our chest is the letter R for redemption. That God can take everything that we've done wrong, all the brokenness, all the mistakes that we've made, and he can redeem them. If I believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose again and walked out of the tomb, that he can bring dead bodies to life, I believe with all of my heart that God can bring broken marriages back to life. And whatever's broken in your life, whatever's dead or dying, you can experience a resurrection. You're not too far gone. And you might say, well, divorce, it's the biggest thing that's ever happened in my life. No, no, no. The biggest thing that's ever happened in your life is Jesus went to a cross and paid the price for your sin and walked out of a tomb so you can be free from that. So divorce would not have the final say. In One Life Church, We will be a hospital for people who are broken, for people who are in need, because all of us are broken and all of us are in need. And your sins and your past no longer define you. And you're one moment away from receiving full forgiveness, full grace, full redemption to the power of Jesus. So right where you are, all over this room, East Campus Online, I invite you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes. Turn off every distraction because the Holy Spirit's speaking to us right now. And God, I, I pray for people in our church who are hurting. The difficulty of things that they've endured. Even things that Weren't necessarily even their fault, but the shame that they're carrying. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that chains would fall off, that bondage would be broken, that our past would no longer define us. Heal hearts. I pray for those in our church today who are single, whether by choice or by circumstance. I pray that they would sense your affirmation for who they are. And they're not half a person, but they're a whole person. They would understand that this season of their life, or maybe even their entire life, that it's a gift. And there are so many opportunities that you're asking them to step into. Bless them in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, some of you today, maybe it's not the pain of a divorce, but there's some things in your life that you would say, they they define me. And they're not good things. There are things that you wish that you could redo. And it's holding you back. And it's keeping you from experience all that God has for you. And maybe you would even say, you know, I've been going my own way. I know God's been speaking to me, but I've been keeping him at a distance. But today in the quietness of this moment, you know you need to turn your life over to him completely. Let him rewrite your story. If that's you, and today you know you need to begin a real relationship with God, I invite you to pray this prayer. Put it in your own words, but mean it in your heart. Say today, God, I give you my whole life. I give you everything. I'm sorry for going my own way. I'm sorry for keeping you at a distance. But today I receive your grace and your mercy. Rewrite my story. Make me whole, make me new. Say today, I live my life for you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for walking out of that grave. Thank you for the future that can be found in you. Now, Holy Spirit, I thank you for every person who's praying that prayer. Some today are praying that prayer for the very first time. Others, it might be a prayer of rededication. But Lord, we know, you know right where they are. And today we celebrate that you are still changing lives. We honor you today in Jesus' name, amen.